is Hebrew Hits, presented by JTribeRadio.com. I'm your host, Malia, and I sit down with people who live by the motto, it's what you do with what you have that makes a difference. Welcome to Hebrew Hits. I'm your host, Malia, and today I'm so honored and privileged that I get to sit down with Chef Yussel right here on Hebrew Hits. Yussel, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Well, I love where you're sitting, first of all. There are so many amazing dishes behind you. Can you talk about it for a little bit? Just tell me what, why there's so many different styles, different different types of dishes, different colors. What's going on behind you? Yeah, so I mean, beautiful food has to be presented beautiful, you know, and it's, it's as simple as that. The nicer the plate, the nicer the dish. Attention to detail goes to the whole experience. It's not just about the food. It's not just about the wine. You know, it's about how the napkins are folded, how the flowers, the glasses are polished, the flatware is not scratched. You know, it's it's really it's really every detail, and the small details are what makes the bigger picture perfect. So that's that's why there's so many dishes. We have lots of different styles, different colors, you know, different seasons. I like to use different dishes to kind of bring out different vibes, different feelings. Um, and yeah, that's that's why there's so many dishes. Well, I know that you were saying that when you were brought up and the way that you were brought up, you had to actually teach yourself how to put food on a plate. So let's talk a little bit about your background. I think that's where it started, presenting food. So where did you grow up exactly? So I grew up as the son of the Chabad rabbi at the University of Maryland in College Park, which was very interesting. You know, I think in the end, looking back at this point, at least, it was very beneficial to my lifestyle and where I am today. And it's really shown me a lot. Um, but, you know, from a very simple standpoint, just growing up cooking for, you know, hundreds of students, you know, every Shabbos, always hosting, you know, always seeing different style people always come around one table and how kind of food and Shabbos and like religion just brings people together. I, you know, was, was very valuable back then, but even more so today is extremely, extremely valuable to me and really has taught me a lot about the aspect of hospitality and the idea and concept of how literally food brings people together. You know, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. You can have literally strangers, random people, different backgrounds, different religions, different cultures, different countries. You can all come together around one table. And at the end of the day, you will all be happy with each other and you'll all have an incredible time because there's a common denominator, which is food. And I, I, I think that that's really, it's really something special. And it's something that I feel that a lot, of, a lot of chefs and a lot of restaurants and a lot of industry folk tend to forget about why, what it is that we do and the special platform and language that we have and that we can speak. Um, and it's very valuable and I'm very, I'm very grateful to be able to do it and to be able to do it professionally and that I've had so many people in, in my life that, and in my career that have, you know, really believed in me to, to share my passion and my journey and, and my vision with them. So that, that's kind of, yeah, I mean, growing up on campus, that was definitely, I think one of the biggest takeaways at this point, looking back, one of the things that's really stuck with me. How old were you, may I ask, when you were you know, having to set up for all these people? I mean, since the day I was born, I was, I was born into it. I was, I was born into it. I mean, as, as a young kid, 10 years old, 12 years old, eight years old, 
you know, my, my father would be doing, having like three different, you know, Shabbos meals on different sides of campus for different groups, just bring as many people into it. And there's always like, you know, the logistics, like packing boxes, making sure like every, every Shabbos meal has challahs, has wine, has, you know, benchers, has, has everything, plates and forks. And there is always just the logistics of, of every aspect. And, Again, I think that looking back, I, I now see the, you know, the correlation between like what I did as a kid, packing these boxes, writing the list, like getting organized, you know, like my, my father is not organized. He would never have these, like the list and like pack out list and whatnot. But now today that's, that's the whole foundation of what I'm doing is I'm, you know, I'm starting a, a, a business where essentially we'll talk about it more later, mm-hmm. but the whole behind it, there's so much work that people don't understand. And I'm sure it's the same with you and the podcast. There's all the editing. There's all the discussions before finding the right people to talk to, what to talk about, writing the questions. There's so much work behind it that people don't necessarily see or understand. And it's hard to like push yourself through it, but it's all that it's all the behind the scenes that is what's necessary and that's what I've taken away from years and years and years of working and, you know, how to write the most productive prep list in the kitchen, how to, how to write a productive pack out list, how to relate that to someone else so that you don't have to do it, how to lead, how to manage all of that. These are very important skills that we as creators and artists and entrepreneurs have to go through and have to put in the time that other people don't see or appreciate when they have a plate of food or when they just listen, click play and listen to a podcast, you know? And it's, it's, it's really something that I, I really believe. And I think it's important to share the behind the scenes and really talk about what, what it takes because when other people have the same amount of appreciation for what you do, it makes doing it a million times more enjoyable and you appreciate yourself. You're happy with yourself because right. other people are happy with it. Exactly. And people who go to restaurants, they think, oh, the food just just come. They don't realize really what goes into it. What's interesting about you and fascinating about you is people who grow up in a certain environment, sometimes they usually run away from it. You enhanced what you were brought up into and you're like, wow, I learned so many skills because my parents had so many people over on Shabbos. And because I always I it wasn't even a question for you, it seems like it was on Shabbos in your parents house. You were going to set up. No, it wasn't even a question. No questions asked. You had to do it because there were so many people in your house. So somebody had to get the job done. So you enhanced what you learned. You took it with you. And now you're starting your own business, which is so cool. Well, at, at the time, I, I didn't necessarily see all the benefits of it. And did you like road, it though at the time? Did you like it at I the time? I mean, I loved it. I've, I've okay since the day I was born. I've, I've, I've loved food. I mean, my, my most memorable culinary memories mm-hmm. are, you know, before like Yumtiv when we'd be cooking for hundreds and thousands of people. You know, like. I would be up all night with my mother in the kitchen. Everyone else would go to sleep. My father, oh, yeah. like everyone would go to sleep. And, and that was like my time with, with my mother that like, and, and that's, and those are the memories. And like, those are, those are the memories that like, I want to evoke and share with people when, when they hire me to do, to, you know, cook for them and create memories around other 
celebrations and occasions that that they're celebrating to bring me to be a part of it it really like i'm really grateful for that because like that's that's what it was for me i was part of another occasion of another celebration of another mission growing mm-hmm. up and me being able to like, and share that like what i was going through back then still today and hopefully for the rest of my life is really something special and it keeps reminding me why i got into it mm-hmm. why i go through what i do and keeps pushing me to eventually where hopefully i'll get one day and accomplish the incredible things that I plan on ac- accomplishing. But I will say that there definitely was a period where I did run away from it. And I was like, I'm done with this. And so what was the reason for that? On. Why did you feel that way? And what, what, what point of your life was that? It's very, it's very, it was around my like bar mitzvah age, but it was like right. when, when I started realizing that like, wait, I could actually have a life outside of what I was born into, right. you know, and, and what my, what my mission was as like a kid, I kind of like, I, I moved away a little bit, but then I, I found myself coming back to food and it just, it, I, I kept on coming back in new ways and in mm-hmm. new opportunities and just kept growing and learning and growing and learning till where I am today, which is, you know, looking Grow back. Is, Let's talk about the behind the scenes, as you say, right? Cooking, you could be cooking for over 18 hours a day. It could be such a hard, stressful day. What really keeps you going and what really goes on within those hours that you're working? What really goes on is a lot of hard work, as you know as well. But, you know, for, I mean, how, how many hours does it take for, for, one, for one edited hour-long podcast? Um, e to Z, what does it actually take? For me... It really ranges depending, but minimum six hours just to edit. That's not talking to the no, guest. A to Z, A to Z. From oh, A to Z. A to Z. M- minimum twelve hours. Minimum minimum two days. Two days, right? Minimum That's a long yeah. time. People don't understand that. That's a lot yeah. of time, you know. Like, mm-hmm. and it's even harder when it's a like a passion project, not something that like you even like see a paycheck at at the end. With me, luckily, I, I do see a paycheck at the end of, at the end of my dinners and events. But it really is for me, especially like I don't keep my my old menus. I write new menus that way. Mm-hmm. I stay creative and keep pushing myself, and that really takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time. I read a lot of cookbooks. I'm constantly just taking in knowledge, taking mm-hmm. in what what other ingredients are people are working with other chefs are working with at the time I go to the farmer's markets taste. I'm always tasting, tasting, tasting wow. what, what, what's out there, tasting what's seasonal, what's fresh, what's, what's hot, what, what's new, you know, like I, I want to be on top of everything and really like really know what, what's going out there. So every menu is, is, is a custom written menu you know, it starts with someone reaches out and then you, you know, I reach back out to them. We talk about it, you know, and then there's like usually a half hour to an hour conversation or phone call as far as like, do they have any, you know, dietary restrictions or any, you know, any other issues or any aversions or allergies or whatever, you know, and then from there you start like from there, I then, you know, look at what's seasonal, look at what's in, what's fresh, you know. What what other ideas have I been having lately? What's on, on my mind? On my mind? What do I want to do? What do I want to test out? Or sometimes it's you know sometimes it's ingredient driven. Like I said, sometimes it's 
oh, I had this incredible strawberry, right? And right. I, now I want to make a dish around these strawberries. Sometimes it's I tasted a delicious wine and I want to create a dish that pairs really well with that wine because I want to serve that wine. Sometimes right. it's there's a technique that I want to showcase. Sometimes I work on a lot of, you know, outside of work, I do a lot of fermentations and pickles and preserves and projects kombuchas and like all all these types of of things and like having a pantry of these items really brings incredible incredible new flavors that you can't just get by working with raw ingredients right Right. you need these take days weeks it takes time to ferment to develop these flavors right and like that when you put a pickled strawberry or a candied kumquat from a year ago on a dish versus putting a raw kumquat, it's a very, very, very different flavor profile. And you're going to use that very differently, you know, and it's, and it's really cool to like sometimes taste like both side by side. And it like inspires you because it's like this one ingredient can be served or prepared in so many different ways. And it's like, Mm -hmm. that's, that's really cool. Like it really is like to some people, they see a carrot as one thing. I see a carrot as a million different opportunities, you yeah. know? And like, I'm happy that you're bringing this up about preparation. It's not just that you're, you walk into the kitchen and start cooking. Many people think that a chef, oh, you don't really look at cookbooks. Ever, you just, cooking, it just, you just know how to cook. Part. The cooking right. is the easy part. People don't realize how much prep goes in. Now, let me ask you this question. You're talking about how, let's say, right, I'm not a chef. So I would think of a carrot as a carrot. You think of it as so many different ways. Who like inspired you to think this way? Because it's not, I guess, the normal way of thinking. So many people, so many people. Um, I mean, there's so many chefs that have impacted me throughout my my career, throughout my time cooking so far. And mm-hmm. surprisingly, sometimes, you know, inspiration comes from, from people who you wouldn't think it, it comes from, you know, like. Like I give you inspiration. I mean, I, mean, I hope I told you to yeah. make hot dog taste like a sushi, like sushi, because I don't eat hot dog at all. Like I will not even eat a hot dog for anything. So if you could well, create a hot, hot dog. Hot dog and sushi is, is not something I, I'm going to do. Um, <laughs> no, but if you could but, create a hot dog in a different form or something, that would yeah, be very, I mean, very, very cool. I've, I've cooked for a handful of clients where midnight snacks are, you know, are like some intense hot dogs, you know, and intense sausages. And like, it's, you can, you can get creative with anything. You can always add layers and layers and layers of flavor and depth. To, to everything and it's and that's that's what it's about it's just about like what 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 would go and you know sometimes you just got to try it you just got to try it and it tastes disgusting and you get <laughs> spit it out and you move on you know and you know that that's not sometimes you taste something you're know, like that should not work together but surprisingly does work really right. really really well together that's really cool there's no there's no structure there's no format there's no like one plus one equals two because right. in the culinary world, one plus three can equal seven. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. that's, there's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. Every chef interprets food differently. Every chef is inspired by different people, by different chefs, by different cookbooks, by different cultures, by different cuisines. And that really in, inspires a whole different menu. For example, you have relatives who are in the food business and food industry. And one of them specifically is very influenced by international cuisines, right? And his food is 
the flavors that he imparts in his dishes are not necessarily flavors that I myself are in love with because I don't necessarily speak and relate to those cuisines all the time, but he does. And does his food taste absolutely delicious? Yeah, and it's very different than a lot of people in, in, in the food business. Like he's almost carved out a niche just cooking international cuisines and his take on them in kosher, which is really something cool. Yeah. And it's cool to see how, like I, like I was saying, how food brings people together, right? At this point in 2020, you can learn anything online, right? You can learn anything and everything. Right. So there's nothing that's foreign anymore. There's no excuse of why don't you know that? Why can't you know that? It, 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 it doesn't work anymore. Right. So like you can, there's no reason why I shouldn't know a preparation of a certain, you know, street food in Thailand versus a street food in Japan versus, you know, a pretzel in, in, on the streets of New York <laughs> city. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like there's, it's all, it's all, it's all the same to a certain extent where it's all accessible. Everything is That's accessible. interesting that you're saying that because it's easier for me to cook Indian and Sparty food than it is, even though I'm Ashkenaz, than for me to cook Ashkenaz food. I guess it's the way you're taught and the way you're brought up. The first step. Yeah. It's don't burning, the, not burning is, the water. Not burning the water. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Whatever. I'm not going to burn water. <laughs> no, keep it in. It's fine. It's funny. Okay, Yasla, I do want to ask you this. I know that you did not go to college, did not get a bachelor's degree in cooking, in the cooking field. How did you get to where you are today? Who have you interned by that has guided you or who have you worked with or that really helped guide you in your life? Lots and lots and lots of people and chefs. I've learned and interned under so many people. Um, I've worked for so many people. And before I like say a few places that I've worked, I want to say as far as like education, it works for some people. I was never, I was never good in school. So it just, it didn't work for me. So like I needed to be hands-on. So for me, my only option was to actually like work, get in the restaurants and actually physically do it, hold the knife, learn how to use a knife, actually do it. Um, so I think that that's, I think that it's actually a very valuable thing in general. And again, that goes back to like me growing up on a college campus where like I was, I saw so many college students just go through college and then graduate and be like, okay, what's next? What is life? I've never had to actually like, what, what is this? I have to do my own laundry. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I woke up to the real world much, much, much earlier on. And thank God I have parents who like have pushed me and kept supporting me throughout the whole thing, which is really amazing. And it's something that like, I really, think a lot of people should really think about education is what's spoken about you should do it's the way to go in theory that's what everyone says but in this day and age there's so many faster ways to learn things and there's so many more personalized ways that you can actually learn something the way you as a human being actually learn things so it's a small tangent on education but going back to your question and with the internships, did you reach out to the people that you wanted to intern yes. and how did it work? So, yeah. so let's talk so, about that for a little bit. So I started by, I started working in like local kosher restaurants. Um, I mean, I, I grew up, like I said, I grew up in, in the Chabad house where we were always cooking. So like it was, it was, it was in my blood, but after that, like professionally, I started working for some local kosher, kosher restaurants. I eventually 
I remember I was sitting on the floor by my, my, by my, my mother's bed. And I looked at her in the middle of the night and I said, I'm moving to New York. New York is where dreams happen. I'm moving to New York. So I picked up and, and I moved to New York and I started working at reserve cut there. Um, and I worked at basil there for a little bit back in the day. Um, you worked in basil. Long time. Wow. Ago. That's long, like long the spot. <laughs> uh, it was this spot. Like, yeah. Um, wow. How old were you then? Just to keep our listeners on track with, with the age, like 14, 15, 15. And I was working in some other kosher restaurants. I eventually moved back to Washington, D.C., where I was the chef and I managed the, the kosher food truck there, which was really fun. Um, and then from there, I went on to what was next? Well, after that, I went back to New York and that was when I went to Reserve Cut. And then just a lot of going back and forth. I eventually started interning at some Michelin starred restaurants. Um, uh, Danielle, two Michelin star restaurant with Daniel Balud, Asuka, um, another two Michelin star restaurant, Aquavit, another two Michelin star restaurant. Do you ever work at French Laundry? The, the Nomad. No, oh. I've not. But I've, I've interned at a handful of restaurants. That was kind of, I knew that I wanted to work at a Michelin star restaurant, but there's so many different styles and different kinds that and chefs run their kitchens so differently so i really wanted to like see before i committed mm-hmm. and that that's why i i interned that at a bunch of them and then i eventually i eventually moved to chicago and worked with the alinea group for a while i also spent a decent amount of time working with Shirley subar doing private chefing like real high-end private chefing and traveling and that's where i started traveling international with him cooking kosher food all over the world um, and when you say and traveling then, you mean flying private jets right well every every, every once in a while that's that's definitely a perk of the job yeah um, you keep bringing up michelin star michelin star maybe our listeners don't know what that is if you want to explain what that is yeah for sure so in the not kosher world there's a bunch of different rating systems michelin is the most most well known um and there's three stars there's one, two, and three. One star is pretty much like if you're in the area, you should go. Two star, you should make a little bit of effort, essentially. And like three stars is like, okay, you should like travel across the world, essentially. And some of these restaurants have waiting lists that go months and months and months. They're very expensive, but they're all very unique and they all do something very special and very mm-hmm. specific. Unlike where in a lot of kosher restaurants where you have like sushi and steaks and this and that, and it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, a lot of different concepts mm-hmm. they all focus on one thing which is something very unique which i think we're slowly starting to see a little bit of in the kosher world i think it, it and i definitely believe it's something that we will see a lot more of in in the future Hopefully you're definitely future, bringing it you're definitely going to bring it and well, to the jewish world you're ready you're ready talking to me about changing forms of of fruits and and, yeah. and food items Yes, but there's, I've been playing around and again, we'll talk about this more later, but I've been really playing around with what's the best way to cook for people. What's mm-hmm. the best way that people want to be cooked for? And I, I am constantly asking myself that because some people are looking to go to a restaurant, but the people that a lot of the people that I find that are, are looking to go to a restaurant are just looking to go get their food, get their drinks, 
pay their money and walk out. They don't care about the restaurant. They don't really care about what the chef is doing. They don't care the fact that there's a team that's really, you know, putting in hours and hours and hours of work trying to create a memory for you. And people don't appreciate that and people don't get it. So I think that there's then a whole nother crowd of people that are going to restaurants to celebrate occasions, something special, right? It, it means something to them. And, and then I find that there's a lot of people that or a lot of restaurants that don't actually help you acknowledge and celebrate those occasions that you're coming there to spend your hard earned money on. And that's where the missing link to me is, is that there's a lack of trust essentially and a lack of like gratitude almost where someone's coming and spending money and time at my restaurant and I'm the chef and they don't really care about me, but maybe they do. Like I want to go out and talk to them, but they don't really want to talk to me. Like it's like this weird, it's, it's very weird. How are you going to change that? How am I going to change that? As if I have all the answers. I don't have all the answers, but one concept that I've been working on for a bit now that I've really started to bring to market and something that I'm really starting to push is it's a hybrid between hiring a private chef and a dinner party. So essentially, regardless which one, right, whether you're hosting a dinner party or whether you're hiring a private chef, it's usually around a certain occasion or, or celebration. Usually. Right. It's a birthday party, an engagement, a business meeting, a get-together, a simcha, something. There's some some reason why you're, you're getting together, right? And I like the attention to detail that I've learned from you know cooking for high-end clientele, from working at really high-end restaurants. I love that aspect. I love the customer service, like always being there. It's not like I hide my phone number. Like I, I, I give it to you. I want you to call me. Mm. I like right now I, I try to make the time. Hopefully one day I won't always be able to, but I'm happy and willing. And I want to get on the phone and talk with you for two hours about food. I want to, mm. because if, the more I educate you, the more knowledge I give you, right. The more you're going to trust me, the more you're mm. going to want to work with me when a chef comes up in your life. Right. So that's kind of my, my mindset there is like, I really want to like bring that, that really beautiful customer service, the just always being there for our clientele, the attention to detail. But then when it comes to like the service and the hospitality aspect, I don't want it to feel transactional. You know, I want it to, I want you to feel comfortable with, you know, me filling up a glass of wine and like drinking that in the kitchen. But at the same time, you know, coming to the table and like saying Lachaim or cheers with you, you know, it's building a connection with them, building a relationship on one hand, you know, that's good from a business perspective, right? Because then if they really like me as a person and it's not just about my food, right? Right. They're not going to go and hire the next person. They're going to come back to me because Mm -hmm. they believe in me, my story, my food, and every aspect of what I bring to the table, not just that I'm a chef or that I'm a caterer or that I cook food. So from a business perspective, it helps bring back more and more clientele for repeat business, but putting that to, to the side, it builds connections. And that's what hospitality is about. 
It's mm-hmm. about sharing stories, sharing memories, creating memories. And, and that's, that's why I got into food. It was about that human connection, right? That's what my parents do for, for a living, right? They're, my father's a shliach. He's a rabbi, right? Like their lives are devoted to other people. That was what was instilled in me from a very, very young age. Right. And that's, that's what I live for. I live for this aspect of creating memories for people because that's what life's about, right? Right. And that's what's going to last is the memories. And I think, uh, exactly. it's, I, yeah, I think it's amazing that you're trying to build connections with each and every one of your customers because potentially you could have thousands of people coming in every single year. And if every single one of your, your customers, your clients feel like, Oh, Yussel well, knows me. Yussel knows it's, me. It's not just that. It's not just that. Think about it. If, if I'm cooking at, at a dinner, right. And there's mm-hmm. 10 guests, right. One person is hiring me and paying me, right. That means there's nine other people potential at that clients. dinner that are a potential clients, but even more importantly, they are my PR, right? I feed them through, through their mouths. They talk for me through their mouths. And that's right. the way I look at it. It's, it's literally the definition of word of mouth. That's, literally. That, no, <laughs> literally, literally. And it's very important. And a lot of chefs don't realize that. They don't see the importance of really building relationships with people because yeah. they're the ones who are talking about you, right? right? If everyone behind your back was saying, oh, I, hate, I hated this show, right? doesn't right. matter how many times you smile. Nobody's going to listen. Nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to support you, right? right. Nobody's going to, when, when you put out a, a video or put out a podcast, no one is going to be like, yeah, go Mario, go. Like, no, like no one's going to be there to do that for you if nobody cares for you. But it's because of that, that it builds a brand. It builds a name. It builds a community. It builds relationships. Right, right for sure. And, and that's, and that's the, the really amazing thing about food. And that's why I love it. That's amazing. Well, I'm so happy that you did say that. Another thing I want to ask you is being that you're so young, but you're so talented. You're one of the most talented chefs the Jewish world has ever seen. You really are. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. No, you are. Your mind is, it's not just on, oh, what? let me see if I could make the steak medium rare or rare, or you, you think differently, which is super cool. You think of how to transform foods and different things like that. Does your age play a role though in how you're treated by either people you hire or the clients that you have? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would definitely, a lot of people in my career have, uh, I've, I tend to be the youngest in any kitchen I ever work in. And people all the time will tell me age doesn't matter. Age doesn't matter. Clients tell me all the time, age doesn't matter. Right. At the end of the day though, it does matter. And you're treated differently because of it. And it's tough. It's very, it's very, very difficult. There are clients that you know, when, because I'm younger, they question the amount of money sometimes that I'm charging. And that's really hard because if someone was offering the exact same thing that I'm doing, but was 35 years old, as opposed to me, who's 22, right? They can charge more just because of their age. And nobody, nobody will raise an eyebrow. To me, people will raise eyebrows and ask questions and delve deeper, which is also something very important to me is when it comes to, to payment, I think it's very important. I think there's a lot of food in the kosher world that is overpriced for what it is. Um, and that's something that I'm bringing with this model as well, is there's not you, I'm going to charge one price, 
then the next person I'm going to charge more because I know you can afford it or, or, or you, you can't afford it. So I'm going to charge you less, but you have connections. So I want to work with you or you're going on vacation to a cool place and I want to go. So therefore I'm going to charge you less. There's, there's none of that. This, the, the way there was some of that and I'm admitting that. And I think a lot of chefs won't admit that, but it's true and it exists. And that's why there is this huge lack of trust between chefs and their clients mm-hmm. and guests and people that come to restaurants. I think that that's a very big reason why that exists. But at the same time, what, what I'm doing here is there's a model, there's one price, and that's what it is. It costs yeah. this much per person, period. doesn't matter where you are. Well, I take that back. It's within a two-hour drive radius of New York City, Manhattan, which is where I'm based, at least at this time. But within a driving couple miles, whatever it is, mm-hmm. in this area, it's one price for X amount of people, period. Doesn't so how matter. do you deal with those people that do bring up the age and they do make comments? That's why I'm going to a model where right. there aren't a million questions to be asked. This is what I do. This is the mm-hmm. service that I offer. You're coming to me for a reason. You know I cook good food, right? You want my food. This is what it costs. This is what it entails, period. I'm not going to send you a contract and add on another $1,000 there. You're going to see the contract. You're going to see the exact number that I told you on the phone, the exact number that your neighbor, the exact person, the exact number that some other person, that your friend was charged. Everyone gets charged the exact same amount of money. And that's, and I'm hoping to, through that, bring back this trust and this community and bring back this group of passionate people who actually care about food and who actually want to enjoy really good food and in really good vibes and just really great wines and just chill and, and have a great time and have a great culinary experience. Not just have great food, not just drink great wines, not just you know eat on really beautiful plateware or drinking beautiful stemware or creative, you know, like um, chopsticks and weird spoons and marble spoons and like really cool things that I've picked up through, throughout my travels around, around the world and, and whatnot, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, there's a story behind every plate. There's a story behind like the actual plate. There's a story behind every single fork and spoon and like where it came from, when I got it, where I was in my life at that point, there's a big story here. And that yeah, for sure. is what I'm bringing to the, to the table, not just the good food. And so what about your employees, though? The people that you hire, though, do they treat you differently because of your age? Um, most of them, I don't, tell, I, I, I don't tell them my age. So then how are you as a leader? How do you feel being, I mean, the people that you hire, I'm assuming, are older than you. Do you feel yes, like you always. could be a nice leader, an uh, assertive leader, an aggressive leader? Because there's you are one, the boss at the end one of the day. Way, there's one way to lead. To lead a successful team, there's one way to lead. And that's with direction. And with love and care, period. Have I been a bad leader at times? A hundred percent. But that's because in Michelin star restaurants, bad leadership is like is is the name of the game. Saying you're constantly being beaten down on, being yelled at, being cursed at. Like that's that's the name of the games. Does it come out at times? Absolutely. 
but any job that I've done that I've walked away feeling like that was a smashing success. Mm-hmm. Everyone was happy. My employees are happy. Everyone walked out patting themselves on the back, patting each other on the back. Every one of those jobs was when there was incredible leadership, incredible management, and we were organized and just everything worked in sync perfectly. Everything ran on time. Just everything works well. So leadership. Yeah, but if you're too nice, though, if you're too nice, people feel like they can take advantage of you. Yes, I agree. But you know what? I, I, and I know that we've discussed this in the past. Yeah. But I, I do strongly believe at this point where I'm, I'm at the crossroad right now where I'm trying to go from Yussel Backman's showing up with a backpack full of knives and cooking in your house to like where we're actually a branded business, a name. Like we're not, it's not just Yussel Backman anymore, but it's, I'm trying to actually build a real successful business, which is not easy and is very, very difficult and is not just, it's not, like I said, it's not just Yussel Backman. It's who else you, you're, you're, you're bringing in. Who else do you work with, right? Are you training them? Like you have to train people to, to think like you, to work with you. It takes right. money. It takes investment. Like you really have to, as a leader, you have to give a lot in order to get back, you know, and to, and it's, it's always hard because you can't expect someone to give as much as, as you and as much as you want to, and as much as you sometimes, you know, pay them top dollar because you think that that's going to help. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. There's right. many, many ways to talk to talk someone else's language. And sometimes it's literally by going over to them and just patting them on the back and being like, yo, you crushed it tonight. You know, sometimes it's taking them out after, after service or after the event taking them out for a beer. What does a beer cost you? Three bucks, four bucks, you know, right. in a bar, maybe eight bucks these days, which is ridiculous. Go, go buy yourself a six pack to save yourself <laughs> a lot on your food costs. Um, but, you know, but like at the end of the day, it's not a matter of how much it costs. It's a matter of getting to know your people and what, what is valuable to them. I know that for yeah. me in Michelin starred restaurants, I wasn't making a lot of money. I was, it was, it was the toughest points of my career financially, mm-hmm. but what got me through it was the mentorship, the relationships that I built through it till today, till today, I have incredible relationships with chefs around the world, literally around the world, um, in incredible restaurants that are my best friends, mm-hmm. best friends. That's awesome. And, and that's, and like, those are the people that I, you know, I, I talk to about ideas. I talk to about dishes. I talk to about trends. I talk to about what's going on, about weird ingredients or local ingredients or just random thoughts about like, you know, how much do you tip? Should you tip? Do you not tip? Like, when yeah. do you tip? Like all of these things, we, we talk about random things. We have random conversations, but these conversations, are, they, they get me going. Like, that's what keeps me pumped that's mm-hmm. what breathes n- new life into, into what I do. It's the community that I have as a chef, my mm-hmm. community of chefs and the people that I can go to, right? It means so much to me. It means so much. Like I have great relationships with, you know, chefs like Flynn McGarry, who's world renowned, um, Johnny Spiro in DC, who's worked for Jose Andreas, who's an incredible chef, who his mission right now is literally 
helping the entire world. Like when Lebanon, when that whole situation went on, he was there literally like within days and set up a massive relief wow. kitchen, just cooking, not fancy food. And this guy has a very famous restaurant, two Michelin stars, Washington, D.C. He is very, very well-known, very successful. But his mission today and his legacy that he's going to leave behind and that he's building mm-hmm. is bringing teams out to Lebanon to cook food for people who their houses were just destroyed, right? That's or, And you know him you personally? Know, you met no, him personally? I, I, I don't know him personally, but yeah. the the chef who ran his his kitchen for a couple of years um, at his two Michelin star restaurant, who now has his own restaurant, Johnny Spiro at mm-hmm. Reverie Restaurant in Washington, in Georgetown, in DC. I'm buddies with him. I'm buddies That's with awesome. him. Like I, I I text him all the time. We talk about things. Like in middle of the night, like I'll finish service. He'll finish service. Like I'll post something, and he'll just be like, "Hey, how was you know how was how was dinner tonight?" Like, that's awesome. Uh, so you did mention whatever. that's so awesome that you have a whole community of chefs that you are close with. I do want to mention two restaurants that you did work at that you mentioned. You mentioned the Linea and then you mentioned Flynn, which that was a restaurant you worked at called Gem. So two questions I have for you. Number one, has there between these two restaurants, has there been any cool gadget or equipment that you've used in that are only either in the Alinea group or in Gem? And how was it to work in these two environments? Yeah, absolutely. So it's actually from a food perspective, they were very opposite. Mm-hmm. From a service perspective, they're also they're very very opposite restaurants. Um, as far as equipment, the linear group I worked with, I, I got to work with really incredible equipment. You know, centrifuges, rotary rotary evaporators, sonicators, uh, liquid nitrogen, um, anti liquid nitrogen, liquid oh, nitrogen in a restaurant. Oh, what did yeah, you do with absolutely. that? All kinds of stuff. We freeze. We freeze all kinds of stuff. We try not freeze our <laughs> fingers, but we freeze all all kinds of things. I mean, for example, one thing that a lot of people know is like Dippin' Dots, right? Mm-hmm. That's made with liquid with liquid nitrogen. It's a really valuable, really cool tool to have. Um, you know, even just sous vide and and ISIs and like these are all cool pieces of equipment that when you learn how to use them, they're really, really cool. And the Alinea group, they their whole thing is rethinking food, right? So they manipulate ingredients. That That's what they're known for. At GEM, it was the opposite. There was no special equipment, nothing. We cooked basic food, just simple, delicious, incredible food. The focus was just on, the focus at GEM was on service. So there... It was, it was very different. At the Linear Group, we were serving a massive restaurant. We were doing 150 reservations. Wow. We were constantly running the entire night, like physically running. If we had to go downstairs to get something, we would run down the stairs and get something. I, I thought that you you're not supposed to run. I thought you're not supposed to run in a restaurant. You slip yeah, and you, fall. They, they yell at you to stop running, but then they yell at you why you're not moving fast enough. You know, So it's like, wow. well, like what do you want me to do? But I would, I would, come, in, I would come in there. At you know one thirty, and I would physically run. I would run. I would trip over things. Like I remember going up the stairs and like falling and dropping pans and stuff. Yeah, oh. it was. It was. Yeah, it was. It was not. It was not. It was not pretty. Let me let me yeah. talk about Gem for a second. Oh, Gem. What's so beautiful there is we served sixteen guests a night. Okay, one six, 16 guests a night. It was one menu, and it was two shifts of eight guests. 
So we served eight guests at a time. Okay. And what was amazing about it was there were no waiters. There was no front of house. There was no sommelier. It was us. It was Flynn, myself. Flynn at the time that I worked there was 21. Okay. I was, wow. 20, I was, I was 22. Well, 21 and 22. And then there was another guy, Diego, who was, who was also 22. And then we sometimes had a dishwasher who was a little older, but it was, it was a very young team. And we were there every day. We hustled, we worked hard and, and, and that was it because there was no janitors. Like there was, there was nothing. Part of my prep list, you know, was to make sure that there were, you know, warm towels in, in the steamer, make sure there were, you know, folded towels and dry towels in, in, in the restroom, you know, make sure the, the floor was clean, make sure the windows in the front of the restaurant were clean, you know, make sure that the flowers and, and the plants were all being, you know, watered and, and taken care of, you know, like those were part of my prep list, not just cooking. And that really taught me a lot about the whole experience rather than just the one little flower I'm putting on top of my dish, you know, with my tweezers, you know, and bending over and breaking my back to do that. That's not what the focus was anymore. The focus was the environment, the service. And there were many people that would come in that I had no idea who they were. But at the end of the night, we as a team would go, go to bar and get drinks with them. And we're best friends. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Only eight people at a time. Why? So like, did he, was he able to make money doing this? If it was only 16 people a night? I don't know that, but at the end of the day, the point to him was never about the money. The point to him is about cooking food and that's what he wanted to do. And that's why are you not working with him now? Where is he? Well, for Corona, he's been closed for a while. He is opening up again shortly but he's not, he's not opening up publicly. He's opening up where you have to book out the whole night so that there's not uh-huh. a bunch of random people. Um, so you essentially, you come with like your group of 10 or 12 or however many people. I mean, not many more than that because the restaurant can't really seat more than that. <laughs> it, was, it was such a difference to me. Like it was, it was an open kitchen to the extent if here's the kitchen, the first table was right here. Wow. Like, so you had a like, connection with the, with yeah, the customers. Yeah. You, the second the, the customers would walk in the restaurant, we were there. Wow. We, we were, we were the restaurant. Um, so that's the vibe you're trying to create for your own company that you're building right now. Exactly. It's about the relationships, building the relationships, the, the human interaction. And that, and that's, that's what I learned from my time at Gem. And that's why I, I love Flynn so much. And yeah. that's why we, we also connected because we're both young. He also does a bunch of private events. So he like understands like that, that mindset. He understands mm-hmm. the restaurant. He understands like interning and staging because he did that for years and years and years all over the world. And literally at every restaurant I could ever dream of ever going to, he's somehow interned there and whatever. It, it's, it's mind boggling. Um, I have but, a vision in my head right now. I have a vision yeah. in my head. And there's two visions. One of them is you literally tripping over everything in Alinea and running, running, running. And then the other one is you standing there at Gem, like saying hi to the customers, being chill, yeah. relaxed. But that's what it was. There were no chef. We didn't wear chef jackets. Wow. Really? There were no chef jackets. Yeah. We wore t-shirts and we wore whatever color socks we wanted, whatever color pants we wanted, white, blue, red, pink, nothing mattered. 
nothing uh-huh. mattered. Or shoes, they didn't matter. At, at Alinea, at, or at the Alinea group, mm-hmm. there's very strict protocol, very strict rules and, and, and whatnot. At GEM, there were no rules. But there it was a Michelin no star, rules. though? Was it Michelin star? GEM? No, yeah. GEM, GEM is not Michelin starred. Um, okay. The Michelin guide is messed up in a bunch of ways. Um, and because Flynn would change his menu so often, and because of his age, they never really respected him as like a chef oh. to an extent, which is not fair and not nice. Um, but his food is, is honestly better than a lot of Michelin starred restaurants. The, the point is, is that at the end of the day, I've interned at tons of different restaurants. I worked restaurants, caterers, private chefs, food trucks, Michelin starred restaurants, I, world's best restaurants. I've worked so many different angles and mm-hmm. I work every single angle for a reason. And that's to learn something. I went to the Alinea group to get access to these incredible pieces of equipment Thing like a rotary evaporator costs eleven thousand dollars. It's an wow. expensive. It's an expensive piece of machinery that most people don't have in in their kitchens. I don't have it yet. One day I will. I promise. Um, <laughs> but um, you got to play around with it and see how it works because of the linear. Exactly. Exactly. You know, at, at Gem, I, I got to really learn what hospitality meant, and I was there was never a point in my career that I was as happy to get up and go and work every single day than when I, than when I was at gym. Wow. Because I genuinely, I love the connection. I loved not knowing who's going to come into the restaurant and who might be my best friend when, when I walk out, you know, and it was, it was really, it was really, really cool. And like, because there were no staff, right. All the tips went to us in the kitchen as well. And because it was Mm. a small team, we split it in half, you know? So it was just the two of us. So like we, we made the tips, but a financially, it was it was nice to get a little bonus at the end of the night, um, right. get a little cash. It, it always is. Look, I'm I'm Jewish at the end of the day. What 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 what? <laughs> you know? I um, see that keep on your head. <laughs> it's there. It's there. The money at the end of the, at the end of the meal. That tip was a direct thank you and message from the person that I just spent two hours, two and a half hours, three hours mm-hmm. serving, talking to, building a relationship filling up their water glasses, you know, changing out their plates, setting cutlery, you know, picking up cutlery, all of that. And that, and that was, that's always been, it it touched me. I loved it. And that's what I'm trying to continue to do in, in the kosher world. Um, So Yassel, let me ask you this. You've, You've played so many different roles with your cooking. You've done so many different jobs. What has been the most satisfying part of your job? My favorite aspect. Or what makes you feel the best? Yeah, I guess your favorite. Plating and serving food. Well, that's how it all started. That's how it all started back in the college campus. Yep. But at the end of the day, there's nothing more satisfying than I just put in 10 hours to prep all this food or seven hours, 10 hours. The guests finally arrive. We're cleaning glasses. We're drinking champagne, popping bottles, you know, eating snacks, schmoozing, talking, getting to know each other. Everyone finally sits down, right? Sits down at the table that you, me, I, I set, not my waiter, me. Right. I set it physically myself. I sat there and folded the napkins, you know, like it's my table. It's our table now, you know, you, I'm cooking in your house. I'm in your comfort zone, right? But I'm taking you out of your comfort zone through food 
in your house, in your comfort zone. Yeah. And be, being able to like finally like put all the pieces of the puzzle together, serve that plate of food, talk about it, enjoy it, watch people cut into that, you know, perfectly steered crispy piece of duck and they take, they take a bite and they just smile. They get yeah. happy, right? Like how does yeah. that not make you happy? I, I can imagine that you, if you were to watch someone listen to your podcast the entire time that afterwards be like, that was so awesome. That was amazing. Yeah. That was an incredible <laughs> podcast, right? You'd have the biggest smile on your face. Ever. I'm already That's smiling. Right? Yeah, for right? sure. That feeling of when someone else is so satisfied with you mm-hmm. is the best feeling ever, ever, ever. Awesome. It's amazing. It's so inspiring. And that's what keeps me, that smile at the end of the day of a happy client. Oh, it, that's what keeps that's, you going. That's what gets me on. So let me ask you this. Can you share a really funny moment that has happened in your career now? For sure, something happens. Either you drop like, the plate on the floor in front of somebody you were serving or the food was burnt. I don't know. Something funny that happens while while cooking. I mean, there's so many things. Just from like breaking glasses to breaking bottles of wine to dropping plates to burning pans to burning caramels to over-reducing sauces to, you know, just oh, so so many things. So, so, so many but you things. Never, you never burnt water, have you? I've never burnt water. No, not yet. Not yet. There's so many, there's so many mistakes that happen. And going back to like my whole, my future and and like what I'm working on, when you're at a dinner party, right? Everyone's drinking, laughing, talking, schmoozing. Everyone's happy, right? If someone breaks a glass, what happens? They dance. Yeah, mazel tov. Exactly. Literally. (laughs) No, nobody cares. Nobody cares, right? Right. But if you go to three Michelin star restaurant and break a glass, Dead nobody's going to talk to you. Nobody's going to talk to you anymore. You're going to get the worst service for the rest of the night. That's, that's, that's what's going to happen, right? I don't want that. Right. I want the attention to detail. But when it comes to the hospitality and the service, you break a glass. Amazing. Here's three more. You really think that the however many dollars that is, that I'm going to trade that for a potential another dinner with you? Right. Sure. Right. Right. Think about the big picture. Think about what really matters. Right. Right. The majority of the world doesn't care if you drink wine out of a water glass and water out of a wine glass. Right. <laughs> think <laughs> about what really, think about what really matters. Think about what, what not matters to you as the creator and as the artist, or in my case, as the chef to you as the podcaster, right? Mm-hmm. What matters to your listener, what matters to my guest? What do they want to eat? What do they want to see on the menu? Right? Right. So you where know? do you see your career in five years? I know that you're creating Tish now. Maybe talk about what Tish is, explain exactly what you're doing, private chefing, private dinner parties, but where yeah. do you see that going in five years? So Tish is my latest project. Tish is a event, a dinner party essentially, but it's a hybrid between, like I was saying, this attention to detail and perfection of a private chef and where we give you the best customer service because you're paying so much money versus the hospitality aspect of the dinner party where it's casual, it's fun, it's laughing, it's joking, it's you know having a good time where people like jokingly will say, like I'll have guests like jokingly say, oh come sit down and 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 you know and eat with us, right? I'm like, no, I gotta cook. But they're like, <laughs> yeah, no, like actually do it. And like they sincerely mean it. Right. And then that's what I do. 
you know, wow. like I'll actually go and sit down and, and drink and, and eat with them and then go back up. They'll come back to the kitchen. They'll help clear the plates from the table. They'll, you know, I love it. I'm not asking them, I'm not paying them to do it. I'm, right. I don't ask them at all, but they want to do it because they want to get involved. That's when I'm a private chef and, and I'm wearing my, my freshly pressed, you know, chef jacket and my apron with my knife with my knives and everything. People are scared to like talk. People are scared to interact. Right. I'm not scary. I'm not scary. I don't want to be, I want people to be happy. I want people to get involved. You know, like yeah. I'm a, I'm a pretty happy person. I'm a pretty likable person and I want people to get involved. So that's, that's the idea behind it. One of my goals in this industry mm-hmm. is to, for lack of a better term, to respect people's money a little bit more in return. People will hopefully respect our talents and our mm-hmm. time a lot more. Hopefully is, is a big goal of mine, but as well as the goal is essentially to be cooking intimate dinners in people's houses for for their happy occasions, their special occasions, their celebrations every day. The other angle that I've been always wanting to attack, and I never really found a way, but I'm hoping that this will be my my vehicle to breaking into that, is there's so many massive Jewish communities around the world. And none of them have any better food than we do here in New York. Not that we have a lot of incredible food here in New York either, but whatever we have in New York is better and more than what is available in many other Jewish communities around the world. And through my travels, I've met a bunch of Jews around the world. And my goal has always been to bring a pop-up restaurant essentially to, all, to like around wow. the world. Doing that is very, very difficult, but I'm hoping that through this concept and this brand of Tish, we can eventually use international markets and instead of doing private dinners where one person books us for the night and we go to their house and cook for them Mm -hmm. and their group, right? And their guest, we do public dinners where I'll announce, say, I'll be in Mexico City in whatever neighborhood, right? In Polanco, which is the big Jewish neighborhood there. And I'll be there from August 10th through August 14th. And we have public dinners where then people can buy one seat at a much lower investment rather than booking the entire evening, Uh, right? Interesting. So very smart. I'm not going to do that full time. And I need to have the brand and following to be able to do that, which is obviously a goal as well. Um, And I know we're not going to touch on this so much in this podcast, but we've spoken about this in in the past as well. But social media is massive these days and is incredibly important and is incredibly valuable when used right. And not enough entrepreneurs use it and use it right. Not saying that I have all the answers. I don't think I use it 100% right, but I know that in my career alone, it's been very, very valuable. Um, and the goal of that is to bring new clientele who can't, aff- who either can't afford or are scared to afford a whole evening when right. maybe there's a question mark or they don't know or there's doubt or whatever. So to c- cover those bases, but in, in addition, is to bring it international and be able to have some flexibility where we can cook for a lot more people, essentially growing our band, our, our brand, getting new clientele, 
and potentially future business as well. Well, Yasa, let me ask you this. I know that you did meet Grand Ackett. I, I know that I saw his Netflix show and I was, and then I heard you met him and I was like, oh my gosh, who's this Yasa guy? I need to speak to him. I need to hear how we, how we met him. What was the first word, if you don't mind sharing, the first thing that actually he, he said to you when you met him? So I actually had the opportunity to work side by side with him for a while, which was really, really incredible, very, very humbling, um, and very inspiring as well. Um, the first time I met him, he greeted me when I came to Chicago to intern for my first day. And the team knew I was coming because like I told them that I'm coming. I got on a flight, I bought a one-way ticket and I went to Chicago. I showed up to the restaurant with my suitcase and he greeted me by the door and said, chef, it's a pleasure to have you here. In that moment, I was like, what on earth just happened? Like this guy is beyond famous, beyond well-known, incredibly talented. Who am I? I'm nothing, right? Like, why is he calling me chef? That was a really inspiring moment because that's the culture of the restaurant group is everyone calls each other, each other chef, wow. right? You all work together. You're all a team. We all need each other in order to be successful, right? If Grant Atkins lost all of his teams, mm-hmm. what is he worth? Right. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing, right? He can have his physical restaurants, but if he doesn't have any staff, he's useless. And he respects us. He encourages us. And he's there to, for us. And he really, and that is really inspiring. And that's very much how I try to lead my team. And while I don't call, like, I don't call myself chef. I don't want people to call me chef. I, I'd rather people call me Yasol. But at the end of the day, when, when, when I need to like kind of establish myself, I do it. But when it's a smaller operation and more intimate dinner, myself, maybe one other person, if not just myself, it's Yassel. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's, it's not chef. If someone wants to get my attention, maybe chef Yassel. In a restaurant, it's different. There's a system. You need, you need the formation. And to see how he respected and cares about each and every person that's working there, from the janitors to the dishwashers to the waiters to the waitresses to the management to every single person. You know, there were staff meetings all the time. There were staff trainings all the time. It was very much imparted in us the sense of team. There's no I in team. You can't do it by yourself. You, we all need each other, right? right? My career is only a career. I'm only successful because of you. So I'm trying to build that relationship and make it a long lasting relationship because I need you. You would say that that is something you took up from 100%, learning from Brent 100%. I mean, I learned a lot of things. That was one of the very few times that he actually spoke to me. He's I'm more so famous. jealous. I'm he's so more, jealous. He's more famous for looking at you and staring at you. And you can feel <laughs> it. And I'll tell you that I definitely, I definitely, definitely felt it. Like when I interned, usually when, when at the restaurant that I actually interned at and then eventually spent the majority of my time working at, at that restaurant, the way it works, and this is the way it works in a lot of kitchens, is when you come in as an intern, as a stage, you, you work in like the prep kitchen. You don't actually work in the service kitchen on the line. They liked me for some reason. I did my job well. I worked fast. I worked clean. I worked smart. Um, and so when they sent everyone else home, 
before service, you know, after cleaning down the kitchen. And then they kind of looked at me and they're like, where are you going? Nowhere. Cause I didn't have anywhere to go. I had my suitcase. I flew in. I bought a one-way ticket. I had no idea what my plan was. I had no plan. I literally had oh, no yeah. plan. They looked at me and they're like, do you want to stay? And I was like, what do you mean? You're sending me home? Like, of course, of course I'm staying. <laughs> they ended up putting me um, upstairs and we had this potato dish, which was a really, 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 really difficult dish to prepare because you couldn't put the potatoes in the water because you needed the starch on the potatoes in order for it to, to work. So you had this very short period of you needed to prep and cook and fry before it would oxidize. But you needed the starch, so you couldn't put it in water to, to hold it from, from oxidizing, whatever. It was, it was a very difficult dish, and it took a long time, and it was a pain to prepare. But oh, wow. in any event, the point is, as far as actually plating it, the whole idea was height. So it was like to go up. There were a lot of people that like just couldn't get the potatoes to like stand straight and like they would just like fall over and like whatever. And every one of my plates was perfect. And they're all standing like really tall, really beautiful. And I I remember standing at the pass, remember exactly where I was standing. I remember just like feeling this like pressure and like that I had these eyes on me. And I did, because Grant Atkins was watching me and he was watching how those plates were. You know, I was putting them together with finesse and with care. And I, I genuinely cared about how the potatoes were being plated, not just throwing them on a plate, you know. And wow. I remember at, at the end of the night, the head chef under Grant Atkins comes over to me and says, you know, he, we're all very impressed, but Grant Atkins loved the way he plated those potatoes. I got the job because of potatoes. And he was like, yeah, pretty much. Um, wow. But, Cause he saw that you had the same type of style as him, that you really cared about the food. And it's so, so it, it's, it's incredible. Finesse. It's finesse and care. People, people, people feel it. People love it and people appreciate it. And it's really something, it's really something that I'm, I'm really trying to, again, just bring to the community that there are people that yeah. want good food, whether they right. know it or whether they don't, people want it. Were you starstruck when you met him? Yes. He was my idol. Wow. He was my culinary idol at, at, at the time. Do you have um, anything to do with him right now? Like, can you call uh, him up? No, no. So why would you leave not. then if you were working side by side, literally, like you're, you're, you told me that you are as, as cutting As I mentioned boards. earlier, it was, it was the most financial difficult period of my life. And I honestly didn't have the money to keep going. I have to sell a bunch of things in my life in order to pay my rent. My wow. random fact, but my hobby is playing drums, as you might know. I think we. I don't. Maybe, you know, I I had to sell my drum sets. I had to sell my drum sets in order to pay rent, which to me oh was like heartbreaking. Gosh. I've been banging on things and playing drums since I was literally two years old. Like it's it's been my life. It's how I release my stress. It's I, I have fun. It's how I wow how I operate. Um. And wow, wow, wow. for for a while, I started thinking about a dish as a drum set, meaning, which is really, really weird and it's a small, quick tangent here, but the same way in a drum set, how you have the bass, you have the hi-hat, you have the snare, you have the toms, you have the cymbals, right? If you play one of those pieces too much, the sound, the sound will be awful, right? If you play okay. the, the, it's just like, it, it's going to be too much, right? If you play the bass too much, it's you're just gonna be like thump thump like it's it's just like it it 
it annoys you. It frustrates you. But when everything is, is harmonious, when you have the, the beat of, of, the, of the bass, you have the accent of the hi-hat, whatever, and everything works together, it's beautiful. And it's the same thing in, in a dish, right? If you eat a piece of protein and you have too much sauce and you lose the meat, right? You lose the protein, right. you might as well serve a bowl of sauce, right? Right. Where I'm putting the protein. But if you don't have enough sauce, then you're going to be like, I want that. I feel it. I hear it, but it's not there. Where is right. it? What is it? You know, there is this idea of the perfect bite. There really is. And I, I strongly believe that, that there is the perfect amount of something. It's something that I strive for in every one of my dishes and every one of, you know, every mouth that I get to very gratefully put food into. Let me ask you this question before we go, Yasel. The cooking world is highly competitive. What message do you have to the young aspiring chefs? Try out as much as you can. And and this this goes to not just young aspiring chefs. This goes to home cooks. This goes to foodies. This goes to people that just eat at restaurants. It really goes to everyone. Is keep trying. Keep eating. Go to the farmer's market. Bite a carrot. You'll be blown away how much more delicious that carrot is than the one from both house farms that's sold in every grocery store. You'll, <laughs> you'll see it like, no, just keep tasting, keep trying things. And eventually you'll understand what relates to you, what connects with you and what makes you happy. And as far as the young aspiring cooks and chefs, right? Stay focused, keep trying things and really get in tune with yourself. I'm in tune with what I want, what I want my guests to have the experience I want them to have. I don't need my table to be like a wedding where there's flowers to the freaking ceiling where you can't see the person next to you, right? Maybe there's a time and place for it, but not in what I do. I have custom-made candles for all of my menus as well. I have a candle maker in Brooklyn, and we it's the whole experience. Again, it, it's something that elevates. It's something that you will never know. You'll never care for it. You'll never appreciate it. But... To me, when I walk in the room and I smell either, you know, oil and fat, which is what a candle mm -hmm. is, or I smell, you know, eucalyptus or quince or we, we did, we did one, we did one candle that we used the scent of freshly, freshly dollar bills, fresh, crisp dollar bills. Wow. Um, you know, just because like these people had a lot of money and I, I thought it'd be cute. And like, and no, did one they else know? Picked, no one else picked up on it until after when, like when, when I spoke about it, when, like when we were talking about it and they're like, Oh, like that, that's cute. Like that you paid attention to that. Like that's the attention yeah. to detail of being a private chef that I'm bringing to this, but with a fun, creative, cool, chill vibe. My legacy is to leave behind the entire Jewish culinary world, world, not Small community here in New York, not small community here in New Jersey, not small community here in Florida. The entire culinary world should understand what hospitality is. Yasel, you're definitely, definitely, definitely going to bring this to the table because you're already, you're starting out so young and you already know where your head's at. You're so humble that you don't even talk about all the places you've been to, which is amazing. Someone who has been to Grand Atkins would flaunt it everywhere. Somebody who worked at Gem, what you're saying, he's such a amazing chef who knows how to deal with his customers you they would flaunt it everywhere you're so humble 
and stay humble because it's going to make you great. And I think people are, are going to see who you really are because you're a real person. People see through fakeness and you're showing that you're really real. Well, you just listened to Hebrew hits. That was Yussel Backman. Thank you so much, Yussel, for being here tonight with me. It was such a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. So Yussel, tell our listeners where they can either contact you, how they can hire you for, for a job. So the best way to get in touch with me is via Instagram, social media. That's, that's where I'm at. I'm there all the time. So either Tish events, um, T-I-S-C-H events, E-V-E-N-T-S. There's a dot in the middle there, period. But you can find me there or my personal Instagram page, Yassel Backman. And Yassel, I'm going to leave all of your links in the description below. Thank you. You just listened to the 35th episode of Hebrew Hits. I'm your host, Malia, and that was Chef Yassel Backman. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a good rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and all your favorite streaming apps. Please go follow Hebrew Hits on Instagram at Hebrew underscore hits. We are available now on YouTube at Hebrew Hits Radio. Go subscribe, leave us some great comments, and always remember to share this episode. Well, we'll be back next week, same time, same place.